God cares more about his work in you than your work for him. Chris Atwell. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 52 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. That's right, the Intentional Leader Podcast. We're switching it up. We're changing our name from Intentional Living and Leadership to Intentional Leader. And the main reason we're doing that is to simplify. My daughter was learning syllables the other day and informed me that Intentional Living and Leadership has 10 syllables. Intentional Leader only has six So we are trying to simplify. We're trying to make it easier for people to remember the podcast. I've noticed as people talk about it or share it, uh, sometimes they forget the name. And so we're going to try to help solve that. The content is going to be the same. We're still going to talk about intentional living, leading yourself, personal growth, inspiring others through great organizational leadership. And we're all about impact. So the content is going to remain the same, but we are now the Intentional Leader Podcast. And I hope that this can continue to be a place that you can come to to get inspiration and encouragement and that you can go back out and impact your world. Today, I'm very excited to share a very special conversation that I had with my pastor in Charlottesville, Virginia. His name is Chris Atwell. He is the lead pastor of vision and instruction at Portico Church in Charlottesville, which is where we lived for a year. We hop around the country a lot because I'm in the military. So you may be confused. I'm like, Cal, I thought you lived in North Carolina. I do, but I just moved from Virginia about a year ago. Now, Chris planted that church back in 2004. He's also an area leader in Acts 29's U.S. North Atlantic Network. He serves as the dean of students at Grimke Seminary, and Chris is married to his wife, Jen, and they have three daughters. Now, this is my first time sitting down with a pastor or a religious leader on this show. And it was really neat for me. It was really cool to discuss with Chris a faith that has really meant a lot to me, has been a big part of my journey. And I hope that you'll be open-minded, no matter what your faith background is, to hear Chris, hear his story, learn from some of the things he talks about. It was really a cool conversation. Chris got really vulnerable with us about his battle with cancer, how he deals with suffering and how he's dealt with suffering, his perspective on leadership and the nonprofit space, his views on peacemaking, certainly something that we could all learn from, especially in the United States. This was a really fun conversation, so I hope you will uh, enjoy it and get as much out of it as I did. Uh, one quick announcement. I have just found out that I tested positive for COVID, so it's going to be an interesting next 10 days for me and my family as we hunker down, isolate, stay away from others. Thankfully, I do not have any significant symptoms right now, and I hope it stays that way. And I really just hope that you and your family are staying safe and staying healthy over this holiday season. Uh, This has definitely been a unique year for all of us, but I really do wish you well. And I, I really appreciate all of you guys as we as we head out for Thanksgiving. I just I just want you guys all to know that I sincerely appreciate you and the time that you're willing to give this show and all the great feedback and the fact that you're a leader who's out there trying to grow and trying to make the people around you better. And I think that makes all of us better. Uh, friends, for show notes on this episode, just go to my website, calwalters.me. You'll find links to any of the books that we discuss on this interview and ways to connect with Chris. Also, a special thank you to all of you that have already subscribed this podcast so that you can get future episodes and everyone that has taken the time to rate, review, 
uh, or share this podcast. I sincerely appreciate you. Thank you for helping us grow and helping to spread the word about this podcast. And without any further ado, please enjoy my interview with Chris Atwell. Chris Atwell, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you for being here. Man, great to be here, Cal. Uh, you have been my pastor for the last year or so as we've been in Charlottesville. And uh, as, being in the military, we move around a lot. So right. it's always uh, a priority of ours to find a church when we get to a new location. And so it was so wonderful for our family to find a church home at Portico. And I have been so blessed by your messages. And, and my wife even said to me, she was like, you need to try to have Chris on your podcast because his messages are so relevant <laughs> to the church. And, and your messages, I think, are relevant to those who maybe have been in the church before, but have gone away for various reasons, or maybe have never been exposed to, to Christianity. So I'm really excited to, to dig into some of the topics today. But I would love to maybe start by asking you about your story. Uh, I've, I've yeah. heard from other people uh, that you were at some point diagnosed with cancer. And yeah. um, I'd love to see if we could start there. Can you tell us about maybe how that began and then your journey with that diagnosis and then also starting a church? Yeah. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me. You have a great show. Um, big honor uh, to be with you. Shout out to your wife. I'm very thankful that she Thanks enough of me to uh, have you get me on the show. So I appreciate that. She's a lot smarter um, than I am. So <laughs> aren't they always? They are. They um, are. It's so, <laughs> such a blessing to marry up. Um, oh, yeah. I did too. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, I'm a church planter, but at the time I was in youth ministry at a very uh, big church in central California and um, having a great time in ministry, really enjoying preaching the students. We had about 300 students and a very large, vibrant volunteer staff team um, having a great time. And I had a sore that was sort of on the underside of my tongue that had been bothering me for many years. Keep in mind, I was never a smoker, never even tried it. A bit of a goody goody in that way, you know. <laughs> um, and so um, I, I, I joke that, you know, it's kind of Alanis Morissette ironic, right? <laughs> the, 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 yes. The, the strong-willed um, <laughs> anti-smoker is the guy. I mean, had none of the um, kind of causal factors. But yeah. there was this annoying sore. Um, I had it uh, biopsied several times, and it always came back inconclusive. And so that went on for years. And finally, in 2003, um, it was really uh, my assistant uh, on, on the staff team, um, and then at First Baptist Modesto, California, who said, why don't you try one more time? That's bothering you. Hmm. And so I did, and it came back showing it had cancer. So I had a little procedure to have that removed, and that, that, you know, that scared us a little bit when you hear the C word. Yeah. Terrifying for a young family. My, my wife is pregnant. Um, I think we were, what, eight months pregnant when I went in for my surgery. And, um, you know, we thought that was behind us and that that was an outlier event. And so we launched out and moved back across the country to our home city of Charlottesville, Virginia, to plant a church from scratch. Nobody, just us. Now a baby. We moved back in with our in-laws. Um, thought we'd never do that, right? But we had a loving family that helped us and gave us a home. 
and it recurred again uh, the first couple months into that that venture. You know, church planting is a lot like, you know, you have a lot of people in, a, in your audience who are entrepreneurs, business owners. They know about the 80% failure rate. Well, starting a nonprofit, mostly volunteer organization, is also a high failure rate, uh, 80% failure rate. And so then you put cancer on top of that. It was such a no. And it just kept coming back time and time and time again. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I had a surgery, of course, in 2003, um, 2005. We've only been uh, in the field of church planting ministry for a few months. I had a big surgery in 2006, which was the one that we thought would probably end any kind of speaking or preaching career because it was going to be so invasive. They actually did what is called a tongue flap surgery. They removed so much of the lower part of my gum and jaw and tongue, but they use my tongue essentially as its own skin graft. So I'm literally tongue-tied on the left side of my mouth. My tongue only has about maybe maybe two-thirds, maybe, you know, a, a movement of a normal tongue. It's literally sewn to the side of my mouth. I've had radiation. I've had some reparative surgeries, dental surgeries, and it, you know, I, I've, I've really kind of lost count. Um, and so, you know, that was a challenge. It was a challenge to be going through a health crisis and a, 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 a vocational and occupational hazard. You know, which yeah. is starting up a new startup um, that has such a high failure rate. But, you know, the Lord was faithful, and here we are today. Um, you know, I have the new normal. Um, you know, my speech is not what I want it to be. Um, I can, to this very day, be very frustrated. It, it requires a lot of labor uh, for me to speak and enunciate, even to eat and swallow. Um, but... You know, you uh, you kind of press on and you learn how to improvise. Hmm. When you reflect back on that, what are some of the biggest lessons that you pull from that entire experience of having cancer, surgeries, going through that adversity, trying to plant a church? Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess there are two. Um, one is is grit, um, and just. Um, the process of learning to endure and to suffer well. Um, I think we're in a society that doesn't really know how to suffer, even to die. Uh, we can push it really to the margins mm. of society. We can kind of medicate it. Um, we think we can just treat it away. Um, and um, I had to sort of submit to it <laughs> and submit to its power and, and realized, too, that I'd been very healthy. I was quite young, and I didn't really have a good theology or philosophy of suffering. And that it can be, you know, in the church world, what we call sanctification. In other words, it can be shaping. It can be a maturing. It can be a growing process. And, um, boy, it really helped me uh, to learn, again, some grit. Hey, you know what? I can maybe go through some tougher things that I think I could and survive. It put suffering and hardship of others in perspective. Um, I realized I was probably a little bit of a 
suck it up. It'll get better. What's wrong with you? Just try a little harder. And uh, there are some things that people are going through, man, that sometimes you just have to sit there and, um, and weep with those who weep. And there's not much you can say. But the other thing, too, and I can expound on any of those if any of that sounds interesting. But the second thing was that how do you get through this without a future hope? And I always had a future hope. You know, my faith in the Lord, um, uh, even my loved ones, um, and just trying to fight to get back to be healthy for my family and my, and my church and, and really loving them. And they were bigger than what I was going through. And the Lord was much bigger. And um, he, he, he was, you know, it always was striking me how to, people go through really tough things without a future hope. You know, there has to be more than just this. And I was very thankful that I could answer that and say, yeah, there's more than just this. There's life after this. I believe in my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what my future holds and it is well with my soul. Did you ever struggle with your faith during that entire experience? I mean, were there moments where you were maybe angry at God or questioned God's plan? Um, anger is something I struggle with. And so probably the, the actually correct answer is yes. I was probably angry at God, but I'm not <laughs> so sure it really came out that way. Hmm. I, know, I, I really didn't, Cal, but I can remember sit around and say, woe is me. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I was also thankful. Um, I, I, I've been really influenced by the pastoral ministry of John Piper, who has a really a lot of great things mm-hmm. to say about a theology of suffering. And I, I had been really formed by that teaching and him pointing me to the Bible. Um, why not me? You know, why me? Well, why not me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I have things to learn. We grow better through pain than we ever grow through ease. We learn so much more through failure than we ever learn in success, right? So many of your business folks in the audience know that to be yeah. true. Yeah. And so it was just another thing that was very painful and weird. I didn't want to go through it. But it was a way to learn through struggle. What is the theology of suffering? I'm not sure that I'm familiar with that. Well, just a, a broader, um, you know, I, I think I think many people, even Jesus in his day, had people came up to him. There was one particular instance in the Gospels where they come up and they say, hey, why was this man born blind? Who's to blame? Who sinned that that happened? Hey, this tower fell on these people in an earthquake or natural occurrence or some architectural, you know, snafu, and people died. Who's to blame? Who sinned? And he said that it's not, you're missing the point. You're missing the sovereignty, the bigger purpose of God. Um, And he just sort of said, you know, many of us look at suffering, I'm being punished instead of I'm being refined. Like this is not a, a punishment from God. This is a a blessing, a favoring, a loving thing that I'm being refined. He loves me enough to have me go through this for my good and others' good that I can then share with them what I've learned. 
That's powerful. I think so right now as we're recording this, we're going through COVID-19 and, and yeah. for many people, it's been a moment of perhaps seeing that we're not in control of everything. Uh, I think for some, it's been a moment of confronting our own mortality in a sense. Uh, I wonder, did, did you ever feel while you were going through this cancer scare uh, that you might die? I mean, did, did you ever, I mean, I'm just curious, did that, did that come through your mind? Did you confront that in a new way going through this cancer scare? I had moments where I had little panicky fears. Um, you know, I remember um, thinking I'll never see my first woman get on the bus and go to school. There was something about watching that little girl and dreaming. You know, <laughs> I get emotional. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No. Uh, I, talking about that. Um, yeah. But, but I did. <laughs> I, I did. But there were moments like that, right? Where you, uh, uh-oh, you know, how, how's this going to go? But I think, how would I describe my mentality? For better or for worse, maybe a stupid, uh, ignorant, stubborn nature. <laughs> I didn't necessarily. And I actually had to have people come and tell me, you, you know that maternal cancer is really bad, right? You know, <laughs> you know that you might die, right? Uh, yeah, whatever. I, I just sort of was like, well, okay. I, I, I never felt like it was there. I felt like it was an annoyance. Uh. <laughs> and, I had, and it hurt, and I had to press on. And then I was supposed to press on. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes we have, I mean, especially for even believers and, uh, you know, Christ and p- people that maybe have a strong faith, you know, I've heard stories about when they're confronted with the reality of death. It's like, oh, wow, like this is a real thing. Did your faith, did it, was it impacted in any way? Was it strengthened through this process? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, oh man, it, you're you're now asking me a very deep and reflective question. <laughs> um, let me pause for a second. I mean, beyond the beyond developing a sense that, um, yes, and Cal, by the way, we can suffer because we're stupid. We can suffer because we made mistakes. We can suffer because we sinned, and therefore we're living with the implications of that and the, the consequences. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. Some of our suffering is self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we have no place, it seems, for a larger sovereign providential refinement. That God can actually be loving me and disciplining me and maturing me. So that is definitely something I learned compassion for those who are suffering worse than me um also cal i'll be honest with you those who i don't think necessarily suffer as much as i did i can sometimes say well, you might want to develop a little grit <laughs> i think you're not gonna die i think you'll be okay and then you don't have cancer i mean come on <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want you don't want to become the saints of suffering and this, uh, yeah. this jerk but Hey, let's look at this together. And mm. I, I think you're going to get through this. And let me share my experience. And I think that even I can say there are people who suffered worse than me. And that breaks my heart. But can we put this in perspective? Mm. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. It definitely shaped me and who I am as a pastor. I think I'm a better pastor than I than I was. Um, it 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 also too. And let me really say this: it showed me. COVID is showing me this too. I still hate it, by the way. I don't like to learn this lesson. Um, that God doesn't need me. Because some of the major explosive growth at our church happened when I was out recuperating. And we had a, we had guest preachers coming through. And I was, you know, plugged up the machines and, you know, eating through a tube. And I was a total mess. Um, and not in my right mind. And medication fog. And, and yet, one day the Lord brought 200 people that became some of my best friends. And from there it grew and grew and grew. And, 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 and yeah, so that was a lesson, by the way, wow. I needed to learn, which is maybe another subject of everybody's humility yeah. and how it really is the king of, of virtues. Um, so, yeah, that was important, too. That's powerful. I think even as believers, it's easy to get in this idea of, uh, you know, you want it in a way to be about you. I've heard one pastor say, most of us would be able to potentially find our purpose if we were willing to be a means to an end instead of the end itself. Um, and, and so how powerful if we could allow ourselves to step aside and, you know what, I'm willing to be a means to an end. Even if it doesn't mean I get the credit or the glory goes to me, I just want to be part of something bigger than myself. And I think that's a great example of even when you stepped away, God used that to grow the church. And then now, of course, you, you lead that, that same church that uh, he helped grow and it continues to grow. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And why shouldn't I suffer? Uh, my master suffered. Jesus had a ministry based on suffering at the cross in love. And it didn't mean his father yeah. didn't love him. <laughs> yeah, he was one with the father and they had an intimate, loving, beautiful relationship. The servant isn't better than his master. Jesus teaches us that. And um, I even think of the mission statement of the life of the apostle Paul um, in the early days when the church wasn't too sure about the apostle Paul, because remember he had been uh, saw the, 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 you know, the, the, the Pharisee, if you will, the, the high-level Jew that was actually persecuting the church, but then he had a conversion experience. And so a lot of the early church leaders are like, hold up, we don't want to trust this guy. And Jesus shows up to them and says, no, 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 this is Paul. He's my man. And then Jesus gives this incredible mission statement over Paul's life. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Yeah. Imagine if that's your mission statement. That's powerful. I don't like that. No, no. <laughs> it won't. Give me the one about, I'm going to show him how many churches he plants and <laughs> how many books he writes and how many people come to his church, but how much he will suffer for my name. And so I'm like, well, if Jesus had a mission of suffering and he gave one to Paul, I'm not even close to their category. So it's good enough for me. And he certainly suffered. And, and yeah, it goes yeah. so contrary. I think a lot of times we think of when you commit your life to Christ, it means your life is all of a sudden going to be become easy. And I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches. And that's a great no, example right, of that. Right. Maybe you're going to be more fulfilled, I believe. You're going to live a life that's potentially more in line with your God-given purpose, but it's not necessarily going to get easy. So how, Chris, do you live your life differently? One of the things I often say on this show at the end is, Life is short, make it count. 
And it's kind of this yeah. sense of, we don't know how much time we have. Go out and live intentionally. Be courageous. Go and do the things that I think you were put on this planet to do. How do you live differently having gone through that? Yeah, I, I do have a sense of my mortality and a little bit of a sense of urgency. You know, um, We should already have that anyway. I mean, the way Jesus talks theologically about his return is such with this, this soaked nature of urgency and surprise yeah. that we should be ready at any minute. And yet we, um, we don't really live that way. And, and I forget too, Cal. I, you know, it, it, one of the things that amazes me is how patient God is with us. Because even after going through all of that, I can get lazy off my purpose and, and forget um, but he's patient and gracious to restore me and remind me. And, and, um, but, but yeah, I, I definitely do have a, a sense of the weight of, man, guys, let's use the time we have. Yeah. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah. And even just that, that image you painted of seeing your child get on the bus and that's powerful. And I, I imagine, thinking that that might not happen, perhaps you even are more appreciative of those moments uh, in day-to-day life um, even now. So, yeah. well, thanks for sharing that, Chris. That's, that's powerful. I'd never heard their story. I'd heard that, that you went through that, but it's so, so powerful to hear you describe that. So thanks for being open about it. I'd love to ask you, Chris, about your leadership of the church and maybe some of the things you've learned. Because one of the th- unique things about leading a nonprofit is that you also lead a lot of volunteers, people that aren't paid to work with the church. And and I imagine that perhaps takes a different level of leadership. What have been some of the biggest leadership lessons you've learned while leading a church, a growing church? Yeah. um, Your question is a really good one. And it actually has me thinking, gosh, do I think enough? about the servant nature and the volunteer nature of the ministry in terms of being thankful mm. for the beautiful, wonderful people who don't get paid and really love Jesus and his church. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but how do you... How do you lead uh, essentially a mostly volunteer organization? Um, Oh, that's that's good. Let me me say too, by the way, I don't know how many pastors you have listening, but maybe some of my pastor friends will get on your show and they'll become followers of your your podcast now and listen to this. It's just an opportunity to say pastors have a really hard job doing that. Hmm. And I'm going to encourage my pastors um, yeah, you don't have a product to sell. You can't entice people with marketing gimmicks. Um, you don't really, it's not really your responsibility or your right to do. And um, so you do have a very hard job. And I want to say to the pastors out there, hey, I'm with you. I love you. I'm behind you. I do a lot of work also with Cal um, in church planting circles with pastors. And so it may seem like I'm just 
bragging about my own ministry. I'm not. I love pastors. Yeah. I, I love people who leave and love. They're often overworked and underpaid. Yeah. My church takes care of me. They really take care of me. But boy, do I deal with a lot of folks out there who are not taken care of as well. And they're just killing it and doing a great job. And I want to just say how much I love them and how hard it really is. Um, and um, I think when you're, when you're, um, I don't know that there's a magic spell to lead unpaid folks. Um, I just think love them and share your life. Um, mm. You know, Jesus led in the context of, um, of relationships. Um, I, 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 um, I just read a, a great book. I'm teaching at a seminary, a class there on evangelism and discipleship. And uh, a, a good friend and colleague of mine, John Dodson, wrote a book called um, A Gospel Center of Discipleship. And he talks about the great commission of Jesus. And there were three components, a relational, a rational, and a missional component where Jesus sent out his church to share the good news. Um, and I think you need those components, uh, you know, in any leadership um, setting, but certainly with people who are not paid. Relational. You got to love folks. They don't yeah. serve me. I want to serve them. Um, I want to just, I'm going to utilize their gifts, but I don't want to use them. I don't want them to think they exist just to, to be a machine, you know, for me, but I genuinely love them. I really enjoy them, and and I want them in my life. And the bigger you grow in your organization, you can't do that the way you want to all the time. But you really have to, I think, the way Jesus did, present a relational sense. Rational. I, I think there needs to be some truth in teaching. Um, I think uh, people who teach inspire people. Yeah. You know, man, they, they've added value to my life. They shared wisdom. They cared enough about me to give me some truth I may not have known. And they shared it with conviction and boldness. So we have to have some rational component and the missional purpose. Um, you know, letting people know that their life exists um, for a much bigger purpose than their own. Um, for, for me, it's the gospel of Jesus and and seeing his mission to love people and to get his own glory, but give them joy um, and hope and a purpose, that that's just, that's it. And so I, I would say those three things. Um, uh, you you got to be relational. You have that rational teaching component and that bigger mission and purpose. That's fantastic. I love that. I've never heard that I didn't before. make it up. Yeah. Jesus made it up and then Dodson spelled it out. <laughs> um, some of us say head, heart, and hands, yeah. right? Um, that's another way to kind of mention those three. Um, but just thinking of that in terms of the way you love and lead and interact with people. That's so good. I, one of my favorite leaders of all time that I've interacted with uh, in the army specifically. And I remember asking him about leadership and he said, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And I think it's easy to forget that in the busyness of tasks and deadlines. And, uh, you know, so, so uh, it's a great reminder. I appreciate that, Chris, that it's, yeah. it starts with relationships and it's important also to have that, the why reminding people of the why, why are we doing this? What's our mission? What's our purpose? Um, and right. I think that's, that's a great reminder in the military. We would say that's kind of the commander's intent. This is what we're doing. 
Um, Chris, I want to ask you too about, you know, being a pastor, another unique part. And I don't know if this is necessarily unique completely, because I do think we expect something of all of our leaders, but especially as pastors, you're not just expected to lead, but you're also really expected to model so much of what Jesus talks about. And I'm just curious over the years that you've led and, and preached and done all these things, how have you stayed above board? How do you kind of lead yourself and maintain uh, your own character and integrity throughout that process? Are there any habits or routines that have really been helpful for you to stay grounded throughout that? I, I think that it really begins and, and continues and ends with a deep, treasured conviction about the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. Yeah. And I, a, a wiser pastor than me once said, and it stuck with me all these years, God cares more about you than your work for him. Hmm. Wow. And that's true for everybody. And, but it's also true for the preacher and the pastor. Um, I'm just a child of a father at the end of the day, my father in heaven who loves me and cares more about me than my work for him. So being deeply um, interested and inspired by the good news of grace. And, and I think it begins there, Cal, because if I believe in the grace of God, I'm preaching it to myself, then I'm believing in the means of grace. In, in, in other words, then I believe that my time with with the Lord in the Bible and in prayer is a means of grace. And so that becomes a discipline to meet with him, not to be more spiritual, not to get a bigger head, not to be self-righteous. But I got to sit with and have the grace of God poured into my life today through the words of Jesus and praying to him and, and speaking to him. Um, and then I, if I believe in the grace of God and then he loves me and he cares about me deeply, I'm not just a machine, you know, a leader. Um, then I'm more likely to do something very powerful and important that I think a lot of leaders miss. And that's to be vulnerable. Yeah and honest and really invite people into my life believing that when they know the real me they'll preach the grace of god to me i am so blessed to have a team of leaders elders we call them at our church around me who know me they know my quirks <laughs> they know my impulses they know my potential future sins yeah, not minority point, right, like Tom Cruise. But they know if this guy is going to go a certain way, here's how we can watch his back. Um, they know, uh, um, you know some of the problems in my personal life. They, they let me cry on their shoulder. And I, I, I don't have a flinch that they're going to judge me. I'm going to lose my job. You know, I answer to these guys collectively they really are my boss. Um, you know, so few pastors have that. So few leaders have other leaders around them where they believe together in the love they have for each other. These people will kick my butt too. And, you know, maybe I might do, oh, God, God forbid. But if I did something so bad that, hey, look, I think it's probably not best for you to continue in your role of leadership, 
they still be my friends. I, I believe that to the core of my being. And when you have family like that, when you have friends like that, they're believing in the grace of God. I've met other pastoral leaders. Um, I just deeply believe that about. And um, it, it's really, I, I believe in the grace of God and, and the love of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to take that risk in others who say they believe it. Some will burn me and let me down. But it doesn't change Jesus' love for me. I, I, I may have rambled there at the end there, but did that, did that make sense? Absolutely. Can you say what you said at the beginning there? I think you said something to the effect of God cares more about me than what I can do for him. Something, it was better than that. It. That's really it. God care, cares more about his work in me than my work for him. That's so powerful. I, that really speaks to me. I, I've never heard that before, but that's such a great way to uh, remind yourself that um, he does care about you. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a, um, first and foremost. And I, and I will say, Chris, as someone who's been in your church and, and heard you preach, I, I think that that flows out of you, that vulnerability that you were talking about. You've preached about topics that I've rarely ever heard in a church. And I just, I sincerely appreciate that. You've talked about shame. You've talked about mental health. You've talked right. about anxiety. You've talked about conflict. Uh, all of those are just, they're, they're things that we all deal with as humans. And yet often I, I've found that churches don't dig into those maybe harder, uh, less sexy topics. Mm -hmm. and, but I do think God has something to say about that. And so I just want to thank you personally, Chris, for being willing to one, be vulnerable within your small circle, but I also think that that really does have an effect of flowing out of you in a very authentic way when you preach. So, so thank you so much for that. Um, I want to ask you, speaking of things that you've preached on, there was one uh, specific sermon that you preached about, and it was on the topic of peacemaking. And I, I, I told you before we were recording that I wanted to just stand up and, and give just some amens, and I should have, I'm sorry. Uh, but it, there were just so many things that you talked about in, during that sermon, and I think you referenced a book that not only speaks, I think, to our culture right now, where we're just so, you know, we're on our tribes, we have our jerseys on, we all have our perspective, and we don't want to listen to anyone else, and it's just conflict, conflict, conflict. It's just soundbite after soundbite. But then I also think it's very relevant to our relationships too, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a family member, we all have conflict. So can you, can you just tell us a little bit about what you uh, talked about in that sermon about peacemaking? Can you just share with us some of the, the key takeaways from that? Yeah. Can I first though jump into another problem yes. in our society, which is expressive individualism? Please. And people have their own tribe, their own beliefs. They confirm their own biases. They refuse to listen to anybody else. This is my brand. These are my bumper stickers. And we are just completely isolated. And the remedy for that, I'm absolutely convinced, is the obligation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that it sounds like an old-fashioned Bible <laughs> something. It, but, but is there a God and does he have a claim? And I do not have a right to 
this expressive form of individualism where I am the lifestyle I want and my feelings that I want at any given time. I'm covered by my own feelings and, and intuition and my own sensibilities. But there is an obligation and a transcendent truth that is higher than mine. Mm-hmm. And so I can at the same time, for example, be pro-life for the unborn and pro-lives as we're seeing adult young men shot down as they go on a run. Now, it seems to me that those ideas are in different brands, but there is an obligatory God, I think, that cares for both of those situations and would call us to get on his team Hmm. about that. I hope I'm not being too preachy on that. I don't mean to be on your show, but... But so there's this, man, we're just nothing, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do, have mm. my ideas, and this is who, who I am and what I feel like being, and, and us for no more my brand. And, and so that, that's one problem yeah. um, I think that we really have to address. And by the way, it's in the church. So Yeah. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. And I think it goes back to maybe something you said earlier, too, about humility. I think yeah. there's this pride that, that maybe fills us and makes us think that, that we are right. And the other person can't be right because they're from a different tribe. Uh, and it's like you said earlier, also just confirming our own biases and biases and biases just to reinforce what we already believe. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, and by the way, humility, I love the saying about humility. Humility to me is the king of, vir- uh, of virtues. Um, and I- I'm still going to get to your question, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. Yeah, I love it. But, um, you know, humility, it's hard to, you can't just tell somebody, be humble. As soon as you try to be humble, you're not being humble. <laughs> as soon as you say, hey, yeah, I think I've gotten humility. You don't have it anymore. It's yes. so elusive. It really is one of those virtues that comes as a secondary effect. And so one great way to be humble is to learn, hmm. to be quiet to listen, to be a lifelong listener, to sit down with somebody you vehemently disagree with and maybe be patient and not think about your next response, but just listen and think, hmm, I've never thought of that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And so it's just something we don't do anymore. We don't practice it. We've lost the art of that, of um, being able to disagree well and in a loving way. Now to your your question about peacemaking. Um, you know, we, we just don't have a lot of training on conflict and yet doesn't it feel like life is conflict? Yes. You know, I think in some ways as a pastor, one of my, my mandates is giving and receiving conflict. Um, hopefully, and I make plenty of mistakes on this myself, hopefully in a godly, mature, sensible, wise way, but not all the time. When I was in seminary at Moody Graduate School, now Moody Seminary, we had a required course on theology of conflict or spiritual conflict. And one of the resources is a strong book recommendation um, by Ken Sandy called The Peacemaker. And he has Peacemaker Ministries. You can find them online. And he has a, a very simple kind of the four G's he talks about the four G's of peacemaking, and they are glorify God, get the log out of your own eye, gently restore, and then go and be reconciled. And they're really in that order. And really, if we start with, okay, 
How can we glorify God in this situation? Most of us skip that. We mm. think, what is right? What is wrong? Who's wrong? It's probably you. How do I tell you? <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, hold on. How do we glorify God? How can God be made much of in this? How can he be who he is? Beautiful, glorious, transcendent, eminent, truthful, good, etc. How do I be on his team, not my team or your team? And I think if we pause there, to be honest, a lot of times we're humbled and, and we say, you know what, maybe, maybe I don't have to even bring this up. A lot of conflict dies there through us saying, oh, man, I'm convicted. I'm a jerk. Wow. And really the issue is me. Now, if not, the second step is get the log out of your own eye, which comes from Jesus's teaching, right, um, of how ridiculous is it. We're trying to get a little spread or a tiny one out of our opponent's eye. Meanwhile, we have with this huge beam protruding out of our own. Yeah. And by the way, you can't do that, right? You, you, his real point is it's impossible to do. You don't have clarity of vision, nor can you even reach to the other person's eye to take out such a delicate you know, little sliver of wood. And so the second step is, where am I wrong in this? What have I missed? Um, I think this, uh, uh, this is where a lot of conflict can go ahead and die where we say, I'm going to go ahead and consider them better. I'm going to think better of them. Um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to let it go. How, how many conflicts do we just not let go anymore? Everything no. has to be a fight. I have to go and just let them know. i got to jump on. Well, maybe get the log out of your own eye. And then at that point you say, this really isn't a big deal. It, it, was, it was me. And then gently restore if you've done those first two steps and you think, man, this is a real sinful issue or character deficiency, you go to the person just between the two of you, right? Um, we're not now broadcasting or getting help or building a case. We go to them, and the, and the Bible is really clear about this. You know, in most of our conflict situations, there could be abusive situations where that's not wise. But generally the teaching is keep the matter between the people who are actually dealing with the problem. And so if I know that Cal has a character deficiency, I go to you for the purpose of gently restoring you into good fellowship and into rightness. I, um, I, I think this is often done poorly. The point is restoration. I listened to an uh, entrepreneur and author. His name is Jeff Booth. He has a, a new book out. I'm not sure if you've heard of Jeff. I was new to him, but he no. said something in this interview that blew my mind. He said, the, the interviewer asked him, are you aware of him? Have you heard no, of him? No, I've never heard of him, no. Um, let me see. Uh, his book is called The Price of Tomorrow. Hmm. It's a sort of a futurist, um, finance, business guy, entrepreneur. But he was so brilliant when he said this. At the end of the interview, uh, the host asked him, what do you know to be true that very few people know to be true? And this is what he said. He, he said, I believe in radical truth telling, um, in love and kindness. And he said, think of everybody as wearing a sign around their neck but they can't read the message that's on their own sign. 
Mm. But the message that's on their own sign says what's holding them back in life. Wow. And it's my job, if I know them and love them, to tell them what's on their sign. And the hosts were great. They're like, no, man, that never works. People get mad at you. You lose friends. And he said, here's why we lose friends. Because one, he didn't say it this way, because I don't know if he's a Christian. I'm using Christian language. He didn't say it this way, but he said, hold on. I would say, hey, the reason why people get mad at us a lot of times, we're not glorifying God. We're not getting the love out. And it's not about gentleness and love. I'm actually just mad at them, and they're irritating me. So I'm blasting them. And what we're talking about is, no, cow, you can't read your sign because people are notoriously unself-aware. And I need to love you enough to read your sign. You can trust me that it's for your good. I want to see you get over that thing that's holding you back. And then the other reason we don't tell people, and it goes bad, we say, no, 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 if I do that, they'll reject me. And what Jeff said was very insightful. He said, if you know, if you're, and by the way, this is for people who are very close. You don't yeah. do this to strangers, new acquaintances, but these people who are very close to you. He said, what we're thinking is, if I tell them that, they'll reject me. He said, you know who you're loving the most in that situation? Not them, you. Hmm. You're wow. refusing to love them enough to be vulnerable to lose them. So I thought that was just a beautiful thing that I heard in that interview that I've been sharing with everybody I get to get a chance. Um, so gently restore. The point is to restore fellowship, to restore the relationship, not to be mad, not to be smart. I see the truth and you don't. Let's fight about it. No, to be restored. And then the last thing we go and let's be reconciled. Um, let's be friends again. The whole point is at the end that we would um, have a deeper friendship, a deeper intimacy and vulnerability, believing in grace and unconditional love than we had at the beginning. So I love that image of how, that, the person having the sign. I think that's so true. All of us Again, have, I didn't make it up. All these good things. <laughs> well, thank you I for sharing. From smarter and people. Yeah. That's how it always is. That's yeah. how it always is. I, I just love that image. I, I'm curious though, well, because I think we all have our blind spots and, and, it, and we all have them. And the reason, thing about a blind spot is you don't know that you have it. Right. Um, I'm curious though, what do you think, Chris, what are some keys to gently restoring? I mean, when we get into the real tactical level of this, what do you think are some of the best practices? Because it's easy to say that, but maybe what, what would you offer to people as advice for how do you gently restore when you see that sign on someone and you are close, like tactically, what should you do or maybe not do? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a very good question. And, and Ken Sandy in the peacemaker and his, his ministry actually goes into very practical tips um, but I, I, yeah, I maybe mention one or two. Um, I think one is that we can learn some practices um, where we can ask questions mm-hmm. instead of making accusations. We can personalize things. Hey, I'm feeling this way rather than you always do this. 
hey, am I wrong? Here's my point of confusion. Did I misunderstand? And you're not trying to be manipulative, but really trying to get to a genuine place. Um, I know I've, I've even heard counselors and therapists talk about changing the room so that instead of me sitting across from you, we sit beside each other looking in the same direction. So the problem isn't between us, it's in front of us, and we're helping each other to get to the answer and solve the problem side by side. Um, those are just some off the top of my head. We can develop skills, but but again, Cal, it does it does come back to a, a level of humility where we say this isn't about me being right and you being wrong. This is about me loving you and helping you and us solving a problem together. That begins with a different attitude. Yeah. And I think too, the, those first two steps are critical, I imagine too, to helping you gently restore. At that point, you've tr thought, okay, how can I glorify God in this? Let me get the log out of my own eye. You've thought about the fact that you too have many things that probably require some level of restoration, that you are imperfect. You are not coming at this from a place of pride. So after doing those two steps, I think that's also a critical element to gently restoring. So thanks for sharing that, Chris. And also just for yeah. the friends that are listening right now, I will make sure and put links to both of those books that Chris mentioned in the show notes to this at calwalters.me, just my name.me. Um, Chris, are you, how are you doing on time? Can I, do I have time to ask you a few lightning round questions here? Absolutely. Okay. Let me, I'm going to go through some, some lightning round questions because you, you have such, I love how much you've thought about these things. And uh, I'd love to get your perspective. What's the best parenting advice <laughs> that you have received or would give? Okay. I am a father of three daughters, no sons, three daughters. I made the joke last night that I was living in a sorority house, <laughs> right? Because COVID is having us quarantined in. And I got some chuckles from that because I think they know it's sort of true. <laughs> the Gilmore Girls is on and Wind Calls the Heart and I'm trying to elbow my way in to watch the Michael Jordan oh, yeah. documentary. That's so um, good, by the way. You oh should, my God. You should keep let's, fighting. Let's just do a show on that. <laughs> yes. So there, many thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's my life. I have a 16-year-old, uh, a 13-year-old, and a 10-and-a-half-year-old. Um, and so that's where I am. Um, and so um, I think I need advice right now more than to give <laughs> advice, but I love them dearly. They may listen to this. I hope they listen to this. Uh, so I want to be very nice and, um, <laughs> and polite. But, um, you know, I, I think it's some of the same stuff that I might say about marriage advice. Um, tell them you love them a lot. Um, uh, be affectionate. Um, hold them, hug them, especially with girls. Um, um, affirm them. You're beautiful. You're smart. I'm proud of you. You know, I remember um, uh, um, my, my parents, you know, too, um, but my maternal grandmother stands out as the one 
who constantly cow told me, I'm proud of you. Mm. Oh, man, the power of a proud parent. Yes. Who vocalizes it and doesn't hold it back. Now, also, holding convictions and disciplining, however you do it, hey, guys, we have sort of a tribe here, right? Um, we're building up a Walter home. We're building up the Atwell home here. And we're together in this. So here's why we do chores, because we're on the team and we serve each other. And we're trying to explain, but we have, we have guidelines and we're building a culture, right? So it's not that everything is self-esteem building. There is definitely discipline and we learn from consequences, but we always reaffirm and come back to the beauty of grace and unconditional love. That's so good. It makes me think of a quote I heard once that, you know, the parent's external dialogue becomes the child's internal monologue. And I think that's oh, yeah. so true. And I, and I can absolutely read. I remember my grandma just pouring love onto me and telling me how proud my dad, the same yeah. thing. And that's just, I've never doubted whether my, dad or mom or my step parents or my grandparents love me and were proud of me. And that is the greatest gift I think they could have ever given me. I know not all parents, I don't know all adults have that, all kids have right. that, but I, I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Chris, I want to ask you, what would, what would you say to those that have had a bad experience with Christians or the church? What would you say to them? Hmm. I, I would say, it, don't give up. Um, really try again, because the stakes are really high. Um, we have a God who made us for eternity, and um, he's really trying to woo us to be with him for eternity. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that the gospel good news is we can have access to God through faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life we can't live, who died a sacrificial death that was meant for me. He took my place and died for my sins in love. He rose from the dead to show that death can be defeated and that his, you know, down payment essentially, um, on resurrection will be our resurrection one day and he's coming again and these are really big 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 important ideas and so to have a funky experience at a church which i've had and will all have isn't god and it isn't jesus and we still have to say man is he transcendent is he uh, god almighty and do i have do i have to uh, give it another shot um and, and try again to hear the message that's, you know, the gospel. I, I would say the next time you try, go to a church that believes in the Bible, but preaches Jesus and being conformed to Jesus and really preaches the grace of Jesus. Yes, we sin and fall short. But when we fall short, what is the remedy? There's grace for that. There is grace for that. And the life and, and the message and the totality of Jesus is that, man, God loves sinners while we're screwed up. And it, not after we get cleaned up, but while we're screwed up. And so if you find the church like that, man, I, I just, I think look out. I think look out. You're going to have a different experience. And... 
And I don't know if that's a perfect answer, but that's what I got today. <laughs> Chris, I recently read a, well, I didn't read a book. I, I listened to a podcast where they talked about how often we're, we're, we are so quick to be against things. And this, yeah. this author was talking about, you need to really think about what do you want to be remembered for? Um, so I want to ask you that question. What, what do you, Chris Atwell, want to be remembered for? Mm. Uh, there's a lot of things, um, you know, um, I, gosh, I want, I want my church to say he was a loving shepherd. He led people with kindness and care. Um, he cared for us. Um, I want my family to say I love them. I was who I was and I wasn't a fake. Um, I was imperfectly who I was in public, but I was the same sort of imperfect mess behind closed doors. Um, but I think the thing I want to be known for the most is um, just I love Jesus genuinely, and I love his message um, that there's a way to know God, and he's relentlessly pursuing us um, unconditionally to... Uh, reconcile us. We can know God. I, I want to be known for the good news. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, maybe they could just put good news on my tombstone, <laughs> and that would be that'd be okay. Um, Jesus is the good news. Um, you know, and I, I know you're um, you have such a great diverse audience, and then you bring this goofy pastor on. But I hope that they'll be patient with that and they'll come back and listen to more of your shows. I've listened to them and what a great bunch of leaders you've had um, and what a great, great job you're doing. I just want to thank you for that. But, but yeah, I'm, I appreciate you just letting somebody come on and whether they believe it or not, you know, we're not trying to, to uh, coerce, but just to, to share and, um, and so thank you for letting me do that. Chris, I am so thankful to you. Thank you for uh, coming on and sharing so honestly your experience, your battle with cancer, your perspective on leadership, uh, this concept of peacemaking, uh, answering some tough questions uh, that I threw at you. And, and I, I think at the end of the day, this, this is certainly a diverse audience and uh, certainly not everyone uh, comes from the same faith background that we do. Uh, but I do think we all have our own experience. And I hope that that's what people will take this as, is this is, this is our experience and we're sharing these stories. And obviously I think just like if I go to a restaurant, I really love, and uh, I hope that if I really love it, I'm probably going to tell other people about it. And I think that's what I hear you doing is this Absolutely. is something that you love. And uh, when we love things, we can't help, but tell other people about them. So Chris, thank you not only for uh, coming on today, but I just want to personally thank you for the impact you've had on me and my family and the the one year that we've been here, you know, as a military family, it's often difficult moving around the country and the world and hopping from church to church. But you guys have really uh, loved us while we've been here. You've given us a church home. I love the the work that you do with the homeless. It was such a, a neat experience for us to get to help with that and, and really love the community. So keep up the great work. Uh, I wish you and your family well as you all navigate COVID-19, but also just thank you for the love that you've shown us. I sincerely appreciate that. 
Thank you, my friend. You're too kind. Um, I appreciate you. You have a great show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Chris. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Chris Atwell. I want to wish you again a happy Thanksgiving as you head out. Remember that gratitude is incredible because it allows us to see the things that we otherwise wouldn't see. So I encourage you to make practicing gratitude something that you do even when you don't feel thankful in the moment. There's scientific backing and proof that if you practice gratitude intentionally, if you write down two to three things every single day that you're thankful for, all of a sudden you start to see things that you otherwise wouldn't see in your life. And those things that you tend to dwell on, we tend to all have a negativity bias. Those things that we dwell on all of a sudden become less and those things that we're thankful for become magnified. So I hope that you'll do that this week. I am certainly thankful for each of you. I wish you all well. I hope you all stay safe and healthy and remember to be intentional. Life is short. Let's make it count.